Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. As you know, in our midweek Advent services this year, we are focusing each week on one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity and looking at how that person is confessed in the creeds. Tonight we look most closely at God the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit had human tendencies, he might not want to associate with Lutherans. That's because even though we give him plenty of ink in our confessional documents, in actual practice, many times Lutherans tend to shortchange the Holy Spirit and the importance of his work. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is not susceptible to our human weaknesses, and he doesn't hold a grudge against us on account of these failings. We really ought to be a lot more aware of the Holy Spirit, though, because when it comes to our saving faith, the Holy Spirit is really the first person of the Trinity whom we encounter. A person can come to believe that there is a Creator God from the evidence of the natural world around them, but no one comes to a correct understanding of God the Father. Indeed, no one comes to the Father at all except through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we Lutherans do confess that it is the Holy Spirit who works to generate and to strengthen our faith in Jesus as the full and acceptable sacrifice for our sins. Yet in spite of our confession of the Holy Spirit, we often avoid discussing the Spirit in any great depth. That's probably because of a few different reasons. For one thing, most of us do not want to fall into the theological error of thinking that the Holy Spirit somehow zaps people instantaneously into faith, willy-nilly or through their own preparations or actions. Lutherans do try to keep in mind our understanding that the Holy Spirit has chosen to bind Himself to work through the proclaimed Word and the sacraments to generate and to sustain faith in Christ. For another thing, it's sometimes rather difficult to intellectually grasp the concept of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We can certainly form a a working understanding of God the Father in our minds somewhat easily, not only because of our own experience of being exposed to earthly fathers and understanding their role of sustaining and protecting and supporting their families, but also because of the impressions that we've picked up in reading in the Old Testament about the Yahweh God of Israel and equating that Yahweh God oftentimes with God the Father of the New Testament. We can picture the the old man with the long flowing hair and and the white beard quite easily. The Son is somewhat more easily grasped than the Holy Spirit as well, and that is due to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. After all, he was a real human being, one who could be seen and touched and heard, a physical human being of whom many artists have generated images as well. But the Spirit, the Spirit isn't quite so easy. For some, the more common term, the Holy Ghost, may have been better, or it may have been worse. So prevalent in our society are ideas of a ghost or a spirit being something that's snowy white and sort of a shadowy mist wafting freely through the air that we do run the risk of turning God the Holy Spirit into a caricature of sorts. 
It seems that Martin Luther understood our challenges in comprehending the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work. And perhaps, indeed, Luther struggled with his own understanding. If we look at the small catechism, we note that Luther devoted approximately the exact same amount of space to describing the meanings of the three articles of the Creed. In the large catechism, however, Luther takes twice as much space discussing the Holy Spirit's role and work and characteristics as he does that of the Father or the Son. Think about that for a minute. As much space is devoted to describing the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work as is used to describe the Father and the Son put together. That's something for us to dwell upon. Now, according to Luther, two things needed to be understood about the word holy as it applies to the Holy Spirit. First, only God's Spirit can be considered holy. Second, in being holy, the Holy Spirit carries out the work of sanctifying, that is, of making other things holy. And holy does not mean here simply making pure and making clean, although that's certainly one of the most important aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit. More broadly, though, Holiness and holy means to set apart, a removing from the ordinary and the receiving or granting of a very unique status. We receive this status. We receive this sanctification which gives us and sustains our Christian faith. Not by God the Father speaking to us out of a burning bush or a pillar of cloud, not by God the Son calling us from our nets along the seashore or from a tax booth, Rather, our sanctification begins and continues in that entity which is the work of the Holy Spirit, that which we confess in the third article through the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. It is in that Holy Christian Church that we find those things that the Spirit gives to provide us the forgiveness of sins, the gospel proclaimed, the gospel declared, the gospel splashed upon us, the gospel consumed at God's altar. All of this to prepare us and to give us a confident faith in the resurrection of the body and in the life everlasting. You see, while it is faith in Jesus' death and resurrection that is the linchpin of our salvation, that faith does not arise out of nothingness, and it certainly does not spring forth from yours or mine corrupt hearts, does it? it must be conveyed to us, conveyed in the preaching of the Word and in the administration of the sacraments, or else it would remain inaccessible to us. The Holy Spirit first brings Jesus to us, and then, according to His own good purposes and timing, brings us to Jesus, not the other way around. It should be little wonder to us, then, that apart from the preaching of the true Word, that message which comes from the inspired Word of God, inspired by, yes, the Holy Spirit, there can be no Christianity, no true faith, no salvation. Those that preach contrary to God's Word are preaching contrary to the Holy Spirit and are therefore opposed to God. You begin to understand then how it is St. Paul could be so vehement about preaching Christ crucified and not simply Christ the wise man, or Christ the miracle worker, or Christ the victorious. 
Only where Christ crucified is proclaimed are Christians made by the Holy Spirit. And only where Christ crucified is confessed are they kept in that communion of saints. There's been a trend in Christianity over the past century or so to move away from the confessing of the creeds or even some attempts sometimes to rewrite them locally for particular individual congregations. You have probably even heard it said from time to time, it's deeds, not creeds, that are important. What terrible and tragic errors these are. Other than the Bible, which of course is our sole source and norm of all that we believe, those creeds that have been passed down to us by those in the early church are our most certain and our most tangible connection to the communion of saints in which one has been baptized and to which we now all belong. Does any one individual have more insight to clearly describe God and God's work than what the collective wisdom of the church has developed, accepted, and continued to faithfully confess over many centuries? What's more, the last I checked, the word deeds referred to works, and creeds were statements of belief. So rejection of the creeds and the eternal truths confessed within them are nothing less than rejection of the way of salvation that the Bible teaches us, that of faith and not of works. Thanks be to God that you have been rescued from this error and this unbelief by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we have learned, He has called you by the Gospel, enlightened you with His gifts, sanctified and kept you in the one true faith, and has led you into His communion of saints, the Holy Christian Church. Within her divine walls, protected by that Holy Spirit, you will dwell in faith until your dying day, forgiven all your sins through the Spirit's giving us of word and sacrament. Luther's high view of the third article of the Creed and of the Holy Spirit's work led him to conclude his teaching of it on the large catechism as follows. This, then, is the article which must always remain in force, Creation is past, and redemption is accomplished. But the Holy Spirit carries on His work unceasingly until the last day. For this purpose, He has appointed a community on earth through which He speaks and does all His work. For He has not yet gathered all His Christian people, nor has He completed the granting of forgiveness. Therefore, believe in Him who daily brings us into this community through the Word and imparts increases and strengthens faith, faith through the same word and the forgiveness of sins. Then, when his work is finished and we abide in it, having died to the world in all evil, he will finally make us perfectly and eternally holy. We now wait in faith for this to be accomplished through the word. This, then, is our continual advent awaiting not just the celebration of the birth of the Christ child, awaiting not just the coming of our Lord and Savior on the last day to judge the living and the dead. Rather, we wait in prayer and we wait in repentance for the Holy Spirit to work on each of us every day that we might be continually cleansed, forgiven, strengthened and equipped to serve our God and to serve the communion of saints until we reach our everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen.